Welcome back. You are now doing less with John and Jeff. Uh, here we are to say that we have finally capitulated, and now we believe that the Fed is finally doing a good job. So only the Fed can save us. Only the Fed. <laughs> only the Fed can save us. Thank goodness we have a central planning bank that is able to bring us back from the depths of a pandemic recession depression that we're gonna see. Um, so and before you call us hypocrites only god can judge us so we don't care (laughs) yep so we're going to be talking all about why the fed has nailed their policy got it exactly right they were off by a little bit before but this recent cut all the way to zero and another emergency rate cut uh last sunday uh we're recording this thursday uh march 19th so a couple days ago they cut to zero and uh, the market itself could not have done a better move with the <laughs> with the interest rates. Yeah, I mean, before we didn't think the Fed had any business existing, but let me tell you, these new policy changes, <laughs> they just completely changed my mind. Really thought out of the box on these ones. We, we must eat our words because... Um, <laughs> Actually, before we thought that the Fed was acting purely in the interest of saving the stock market from going down, but now we see that's not why they're (laughs) acting. Because (laughs) if it is, they're completely ineffective. So that must not be the case, and good for them for uh, (laughs) having morals sticking to their guns. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought printing money was the solution all along? (laughs) Um, all right. That was fun. (laughs) Now let's go back to bashing the Fed. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so I said it, the Fed cut rates to zero. Um, we, we saw it coming and, uh, it happened and I will say I was joking about it, but I was a little bit surprised to see that the stock market didn't react at all because in the past um talk of that or the that action um saved the stock market in the 2008 great financial crisis that movement along with quantitative easing what allowed the stock market to start going up which lasted for 10 years but this time the stock market on the news of an emergency rate cut has continued to go down we're now we're now more than 30% off the February high in the stock market. So uh, whatever the Fed's plan was, I don't think it's going according to their plan. Yeah, I just think investors, like, they just don't think the Fed has any power over this this cocktail of uh, stuff going on. Um because you know it doesn't it seems like whatever they do it doesn't it just doesn't matter so it's like basically if you it's kind of like there's a war going on and the fed's like oh look at these cool drawings i made does this help and, I, and everyone's <laughs> like no fed that doesn't help <laughs> yeah um so that that emergency rate cut was only one there's been about one or two announcements every day this week so far. Um, announcements including setting up uh, funding for 
uh, corporate um, commercial paper setting up funding for um, treasury purchases. All sorts of programs are rolling out. Very into the weeds. Very technical stuff. You have to be basically have a financial finance degree to be able to understand some of this really wonky stuff they're really wonky markets they're going to be participating in um the major one is they will be accepting equities um as collateral for from businesses so that basically means if tesla's stock goes down and it's going to have to file for bankruptcy the fed can uh accept some of that stock pay what I assume would be the market rate, so a s really effectively buying a stock. They could buy any equity, and uh, that is basically unprecedented. It, it would be unprecedented, except Japan tried it 20 years ago and <laughs> ended up buying like 60% of all the stocks in their whole stock market. And I think 80, 80%, 80% of Japan's yeah. stock market is held by their central bank. So that, and they went on to decade-long, decade, multi-decade long stagnation in their economy uh they it's actually yeah. re they're really in trouble so i think we might right, be lucky to have the same fate as them though yeah like you really can't underplay how much of a dangerous thing this is that the fed is now kind of venturing into because the fed has no profit motive right like they can just create money out of thin air there's there's nothing in like they have no incentive to earn a profit that's not what they're there to do and so if someone if some company say boeing for example is is drowning and even boeing is sort of like asking for a bailout so instead of the traditional bailout, which comes from like our treasury let's say they sell their stock or they they take a loan from the fed and give their stock to the the Fed as collateral, and they go bankrupt anyway. Well, that means the Fed becomes the owner of that stock, aka the shareholders of Boeing. So now you have a what is? I know the Fed is technically a private entity, but that's it's not though. It's it's an arm of the the government. It's not you. Don't, you can't compare the Fed to Google. They're not the same thing. It's basically just another arm of the government. And so, you know, if they are the shareholders of a company and have no profit motive whatsoever, they have no incentive to do a good job. So you essentially, what you've done is essentially nationalized an industry under someone who has no intention of doing a good job at running the business. Or maybe not, maybe they do have an intention, but they don't have incentives to do a good job. And as we know, people require incentives to do stuff so this is like i think pretty scary stuff they're starting to get into yeah i agree um yeah that that worst case scenario where they absorb stock from a company that's going bankrupt or that goes bankrupt um the fed can then just say like hey we gave you money you give us stock you got to repay that somehow and that company will just say no we're bankrupt and you just mm -hmm. we can't pay you back. You just keep the shares that you have of our stock, and then the Fed will just be like, "Oh, <laughs> they're just stuck right. with and shares that." So they basically paid the market value for shares that they know how to keep indefinitely that are now worthless. 
Right. And they like, you could argue that, oh, they can just sell those back onto the market, but that's what they said they do with the first five QEs. <laughs> and so, you know, at this point, do we believe a word out of their mouths? So I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's brings, um, there's a point that I w- was reading about. That's like, let's say tomorrow a vaccine is created for the coronavirus right that existential economic threat just goes away as soon as it came now what do you think the fed's going to be doing about all these emergency measures it took is this just going to roll it roll it back no (laughs) they're going to start saying things like oh well we gotta we gotta wait to see all of the the stuff that all the bad stuff that happened we had to wait to see that become fixed because when that's fixed then we'll roll it back well, that's what they've been saying since 2008. <laughs> they they, they <laughs> right. absorbed all this emergency, like all they they committed to buying all these emergency treasury purchases back uh, beginning in like 2009, 2010 with quantitative easing, and ever since then, they well after that happened, they said, oh well now the economy's healthier, we'll roll we'll start rolling off some treasuries from the balance sheet. Well, then shit hit the fan, and they just went right back to right back to it right now their balance sheet is bigger than it's ever been as of as of today actually they announced the latest uh then the latest number that they publicized about their balance sheet it's now four points it's over 4.6 trillion with the previous high uh in 2015 after all the rounds of quantitative easing i think 2.5 or sorry 4.5 trillion was the max now it's over 4.6 so it's like all this stuff, these emergency measures are just temporary rollouts of, like Jeff said, nationalization of of parts of our economy that used to be free markets. They're now being distorted and perverted by permanent <laughs> permanent by permanent market actions of a government entity with no profit right. motive. Right, and I just like. We've gotten into like a lot of the details of what the Fed's doing, but like I think at the end of the day, just the important thing to keep in mind is there's just one core principle at play here, and that's central planning is always less effective than decentralized, aka market planning. And the reason for this, as we said before, is but I think it's just important to drive this home is the Fed is just a group of people. I don't know the exact number of people on the board, but it's not very many. What Do you know how many it is? Um, the FOMC? Yeah. It's 19. Yeah, so you got 19 people trying to figure out the price of something. And when you think about what the price of anything is, like what goes into that, right? It's like, let's just take something simple like bread, right? So all the info that goes into the price of bread is like, okay, how much did the land cost that you grew the weed on? How much did the capital equipment cost that you, uh, the, like you bought to, to, to farm the wheat? How much was the water? How much was the fertilizer? You know, um, you know, how much is the transportation? You know, it just, there's so many pieces of information that, each individual along the way that it took to make that bread has very good understanding of and is doing their best to make a profit at each step of the way. 
And so essentially what prices do is they encapsulate all the information along the way for each step of the process to get to the final result. So like prices have this magic thing of just essentially conveying all of the information in a marketplace in one number. And then now if you try to set that number yourself, you basically have to say, I can do better than all the information and decision-making power of all the individuals spread out in the market, which I don't know, you have to be pretty freaking arrogant to think <laughs> you can do better than a million other individuals. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, and the Fed has the least amount. So every and every one of those individuals is likely to come upon a, pre, a fairly accurate number because they have skin in the game. They ha it's their livelihood, right? right? Like you need to be able to turn a profit if you're delivering fertilizer to a to a farmer that's you know yielding crops right you need to be able to say to yourself i'm only going to do this if i can feed myself afterwards i'm not going to do this for free right. i'm not going to do so i'm researching my line of work i'm researching my uh resources and transportation all those costs that are, i'm going to be i'm going to be up to date i need to be i have real incentive the Fed, the federal reserve has like probably the least of it least incentive to get it right <laughs> of any economic agent because they literally don't have a constraint they can turn yeah and their salaries are not tied to any yeah. sort of performance metrics so it's like <laughs> and they're, they're, they're big salaries they have no incentive they get paid more than yeah. i think the fed the fed chair gets paid i think they get paid more than the president um I may be wrong, but they, I mean, they're very high to do this, uh, cushy economics work. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have read some of what Ben Bernanke, who was the, a, a fed chairman, he was the fed chairman during the great financial crisis, the, um, of 2008. And he, um, he writes, he, he wrote a book about that time dealing with the crisis and he was like talking about how he had to like stay up all night and like have calls at early in the morning and like he had to cancel his vacation to uh <laughs> to like deal with some of the some of the uh Man, what a what a rough life. Yeah, right. No 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 business owners have ever had to do that. Yeah, exactly. That's it. that's where I was going. <laughs> I was I was just like imagine having a a business that you started with your bare hands and you had to work all weekend. That's probably like a normal weekend for like right. many, many business owners. And this is like this academic P economic PhD talking about like, oh, this is hard work. Get you know taking <laughs> calls at four in the morning. He's like, I had to sleep in my sleep in my office one night. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's goofy. Yeah, that feels very um, out of touch. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I don't know if Powell, who's currently dealing with the same s stuff, if he'll publicize a, a, a book in the future, talking about the same thing, how, how hard this period is for him. Um, cause I mean, in my opinion, just like, all right, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Do it, like, oh, wow. Really hard. All right. Yeah. Go home. Go home. This is too, this <laughs> you're right. This is much too hard for an individual to take on. You gotta, um, uh, <laughs> Go take it. It's almost like this is an impossible job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, to, just to quickly address what you said, like, should there be a Federal Reserve? Some, obviously, some people think there should. Obviously, most people think there should be. Um, mm -hmm. I think there, 
I think that one would help, to be completely honest. I think having a Federal Reserve can cause efficiency in the, the system, theoretically. But when you look at the incentives, the personal incentives of the people, obviously you have to, we're not at an age where you can put an artificial intelligence into mm-hmm. uh, the role of a central government. Maybe if you could, or sorry, central bank. If you could do that, maybe that would be a really good application for artificial intelligence, unless they decide to wipe out all of humanity, in which case <laughs> it would be easy. <laughs> Jeez, now I'm talking, oh, I'm saying that. What if Powell is a artificially intelligent robot who has been designed to wipe out humanity <laughs> oh geez he's doing a good job <laughs> but um but so obviously so if you could take out human subjectivity uh a central bank could help in a period like this where it's like this exogenous risk this that nobody saw coming this pandemic the coronavirus um if you were able to like stimulate the economy, at, like once it's a once you deal with the virus and once you're like trying to work your way out of like a deep economic hardship, like having some stimulus, having some economic stimulus is actually a, very helpful. It would help you get to to recover much faster than you otherwise would be able to. The problem is, uh, I don't agree with that though. Just because like stimulus, in my opinion, is like. It, like you have to back it with some kind of value, right? Like if you're just creating money, you're just picking winners and losers. Anytime you create money, that's just a wealth transfer. And so it may appear like it may boost the numbers, but all you've done is transferred wealth. And so to me, you need a better justification for transferring wealth than just the greater good. I don't know. It just, well, I think that, in a reset, like after an economic hardship, yeah, people with capital are less likely to lend to those w- without capital, but with ha- that have good ideas. Um, in I agree. Like economic but uncertainty. Like that's that's just psychology. Like they got burned, and they don't want to get burned again. Who are we to step in and say, "Oh, you're being irrational"? You, no. Don't withhold your money. You're being silly. Like, lend it out. Like, it just seems, again, arrogant to say to that person who got burned, who is their own, is their own capitalist, their own money, to say, you're being stingy now. Like, lend it out. Like, that, I don't agree with that. Yeah, because it's not really a positive incentive. It's a negative incentive. It's like, we're going to take away your incentive to save. Um, Right. So start lending out or else you're going to have less. Right. Um, like, shouldn't they just be able to decide uninhibited what they do with their wealth? Because in in a free society, any wealth, I mean, you can steal wealth theoretically uh, in a free society by scamming people. But in my opinion, scams don't last long and will not be like, I don't think you can become like a billionaire by scamming. Well, eh, how, how rich was Madoff? <laughs> Yeah, he had, I think, $60 billion under management. Okay. Well, yeah, okay. It's possible. <laughs> so I, won't, I don't want to rule out how rich you can get by scamming people. But my point is, I think what goes around comes around eventually. And, you know, these sorts of scams don't, don't work in perpetuity. Like, people are a lot more aware of Ponzi schemes now after, after getting burned by Madoff. So it's kind of like, 
you know, yeah, one, like this guy was able to like get really rich off of it, but like, it's not going to continuously keep enriching people. And so at the end of the day, the best way to build wealth is by providing people with things they want, but don't know how to get. Now, what about, so sometimes there's economic events that are exasperated, exacerbated by uh, compounding fear, which isn't necessarily, it's not necessarily like, like people don't have perfect information in the economy. So if there's like a a run on a bank, that doesn't mean that the bank Mm -hmm. shouldn't be able to lend like that that bank would theoretically in a free market right but like i mean either the bank holds more cash themselves right or they could like you could have like a private federal reserve right and what the private federal reserve is it's just like a water tower right and it just literally sits on cash or gold or whatever your money system is and it just sits on it and doesn't do anything and you just pay them to sit on that money like a little insurance policy. And if one day one of these run on the banks happens, then they dish out all their uh, cash for you in the short term. And then they, uh, you can like give it back for your charge or something like that. My point is, I see no reason liquidity crisis cannot be solved by a marketplace. Like, like saving for a rainy day doesn't involve predicting the weather. Yeah, it's about just it's about preparing for un, the unknown, and people who don't do that get punished. Yeah, that's fair. And if you wanted to take that argument further, you could say that like an economy might be anti-fragile, where every time you get burned, the people learn from that, and the next right. time they're more ready for um, that kind of event. And um, you could argue that that hasn't been that phenomenon has not been able to be witnessed because every time something would allow the fragileness of the economy to become tested the federal reserve has been so quick to swoop in and just patch over to band-aid over exactly kind of paint short-term pain that could result like you basically see our entire economy uh has learned nothing from 2008. Like yeah. this crisis is has been predicted by every single person that saw 2008 coming. They all saw this coming yeah. and they're all profiting. They all say it. It's like the like, same thing. It's like the same thing we saw in 2008. It's the same thing now. It's like massive debt. Right. It's so it's like, it's the same problems that no one learned from. And it's just like, if you just listen to like any of the people, even the guy in the big short that the movie was about, he saw this, you know, he saw this one coming. There's like a million others, not a million, but there's a plenty of people who saw 2008 coming a long way away when the general consensus has been, oh, nobody could have seen it coming. And yet here these people are saying this is going to happen again, but worse uh, because we haven't learned anything. We haven't. And the reason we haven't learned anything is because the Fed has basically stepped in and said, there's no need to no. There's, you didn't do anything wrong. There's no reason to learn from this. You know, we got you. Right. So I will just so I will just finish where I was going before I mm-hmm. respond to that because where I was going with that with my original this original kind of um, like the Fed could you could have a reason for yeah, it? The, that's what you're saying I could entertain being convinced why there should be a Fed. Um, 
mm-hmm. except for where I was going was there's so much human disincentive to 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 act optimally. Like um, the the ability for a Fed to create a opportune environment for stocks or for corporations to do well is uh, it's going to cause a conflict of interest in like say an election year or if there's a politician you want or if there's mm-hmm. you know any any reason that a human might want a good short-term economic environment mm-hmm. where you're going to i mean you're going to see that happen when you have that much control over that economic environment so it's just the the very nature of putting a person in charge you're going to have instances where well i better act to keep the economy in a good place for the next six months because otherwise they'll get fired <laughs> and <laughs> right. obviously every human's going to try to event or try to prevent getting fired um but my response to uh you're saying how people in the fed just say no one could see this coming right right i would say that's probably one of the probably one of the major thesis probably a reason i wanted to start this podcast with you um is mm-hmm. to address this point. The people in the Fed say things like that. No one could have seen this coming. There are famous people, several, you know, <laughs> there are multiple famous people with millions, maybe billions of assets under management. So influential, popular people. They're not just these conspiracy theorists. They're not just, right. you know, lurking around the corner. Hey, man, do you hear it? I have a theory. You got to listen to me. These are mainstream people that come out and say, "This is not right. This, you know, this, this is not right. good economics. This is not good economic policy." For the for the entirety of the Fed to come out and say, "No one could have seen this coming." That is a you have to look at that and say that is a direct bastardization of of free thought, of free policy, mm-hmm. of that is indoctrination, right? You have to right. at least acknowledge that that point exists. Oh, people say that this problem occurs because there's a debt bubble caused by artificially low rates. So when we lower rates again, we're exasperating that. Like you have to be able to say what the other side is thinking. Otherwise, right. you're just proving that you're just indoctrinated. Another thing is like, this is like a, I think, good advice for, for anything. If someone's trying to sell you something, and they will not say any trade-offs at all. They will not admit any trade-offs, any negatives, any downsides, any potential risks. And they just make it seem like whatever they're selling you is just nothing but roses. I think most people's natural instinct is to second-guess that person. Because it it's, comes off as disingenuous. Because we know in real life, everything has trade-offs. Everything has costs and it doesn't mean that something's not worth buying, but it's important to understand the trade-offs and understand the risks to know if you want to buy it. And so what the Fed is selling is their policy, but they never acknowledge the trade-offs or the downsides or who they might be hurting, not in a significant way. They do sort of do it, but they're very dismissive about it. They go... Yeah, they might be hiring savers, but, you know, they, they just brush past these points. And so the fact that they really won't, it's just, they, they're pretending that what they're doing is just, it's the greater good. And, uh, like, there is no dissent. This is the way to go. And, like, they have it all figured out. And it's like, 
that to me is like snake oil. It's like sleazy. You can tell there's something wrong with it by the fact that it's like, you're not even telling us what the trade-offs are here. Yeah, maybe, maybe if the trade-offs are like, hey, this is going to punish savers. This is going to be a wealth transfer from people who are, you know, paid in dollars, holding dollars to people who are in debt and uh, holding assets and non-dollar denominated, et cetera, et cetera. But we feel that this is, you know, in light of those trade-offs, this is still the way to go. I would be much more inclined to hear what they have to say if, the, if that's how they spoke to us in like a realistic, you know, treated us like adults kind of manner. But I don't know. I it's, It really is kind of like infuriating how much they are, how cryptic they are and just like how they act like, you know, they just know what's best for all of us. Yeah, it makes me think of this commercial I watched one time. I was watching it with someone else. It was a uh, exercise machine. It was like a, I don't know what, I forget what kind of. A Peloton bike? Yeah, no. It was uh, (laughs) some kind of like elliptical. But the commercial said, with this machine, with this great technology, you will be able to work out fewer times a week with less intensity and for a shorter duration. And you will get better, better results. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like I was watching it with someone and they're like wow that looks really cool that's like something I should try and I'm like mm-hmm. looking at them I'm like you don't have to know about nutritional science or health science uh, to know you know to be an expert on how to lose weight or how to get fit right I, so let's pretend I didn't even know that I, I didn't know anything about that I'm watching this commercial I would say that's weird because anytime I've exercised or anytime I've seen someone exercise, like there's a, there, there's gotta be a trade-off. Like you gotta either, if you're working less hard, you gotta do it more frequently. Or if you're working right. f- uh, less frequently, then you gotta do it more intensity or lo- for right. a longer duration. Like there's some trade-off that's not just like a magic, you know, a magic solution where, oh, with, th- with this product, you get all, there's no such thing as a trade-off. All of that you want, is with this machine. <laughs> and I'm like, you got to just question that. Like, that's just fake marketing. That's just like, <laughs> it's just, uh, right. they're, they're trying to sweeten their, sweeten their product with just like this artificially good sounding workout regimen. Right. And like, I don't know, I think a lot of this just goes back to like, there's just this fundamental law of nature, of physics. That's really at the heart of a lot of things in life, which is that it's the conservation of energy. Right? Energy is neither created nor destroyed. It's only moved from one form to another. And so this idea that you can just expend less energy in every way and then just get the results you want anyway, it just clearly is not going to work. Like they're obviously bullshitting you if they're just saying, oh yeah, you know, all those people who are working super hard and doing all this stuff, yeah, you don't need to do any of that. Because if that was true, then everyone would be ripped. Right. And that product, whatever it is, it would be in every single gym, every home. Like, everyone would have one right. if it was that, like, legit, you know? Right. So I think it's just, I, I think the Fed has kind of taken it upon themselves to, to, when they come out and tell us, like, oh, these are just necessary or the, you know, necessary actions that we have to take or this is just, uh, some financial plumbing that we have to take care of and don't really think about it too much. That's leave that to us. It's like we can just go along and say, "Oh wow, they they're pretty smart. They know about this." But 
but if you j just understanding that a difference of opinion exists by some very credible, popular people, just knowing that you have to say like, they're not they're not discussing any of the trade offs of their actions. Like they never <laughs> right. say the trade. They won't even acknowledge. Won't even people. acknowledge that they exist. So it's like, and so we just have to know. Like if we know that, then we're like that alone makes us a more educated populace. And we're not able right. to, we're, we won't be caught lying down with our eyes shut when, when they do the, these sorts of things, try to pull the wool over our eyes. We're able to say, hey, no, stop that. We're going to elect someone <laughs> who's not going to elect a goofball like you that's going to treat us like dummies. Right. And just like, I don't know, like at the end of the day, the Fed doesn't really produce anything anyone wants. So it's like, why do we expect them to be able to make our lives better? It's like, they're not creating anything i want they're just creating money without backing it by anything so it's like I, th I, I think i've said this before but it's like everyone i think thinks way too much through the the frame of money it's like money is the thing i want just if you just take one step back and think hold on actually no it's not money that i want it's the things that money can buy me that i want it's like you don't want a million dollars. You want what a million dollars can buy you, which is a nice house and a car, right? So like just step back and, t and, and think for a moment, what are the things you actually want? You want a nice house, you want a car. Okay. How do you get those things? Okay. Well, you could either build them yourself, which unless you're a genius or some, I don't know, <laughs> kind of savant, you can't make those things on your own. So instead you have to convince someone else to make them for you. And how do you do that? I don't know. You do something you're good at and then you, you trade that with other people and then money just makes that easier. Money's just like the, money's like the oil in your engine. It doesn't make your engine go. It's just, it allows it to operate, uh, without friction. Like if we had to trade all our skills directly between one another, it, it would be so hard to do. So money just makes that easier. So like, I think people need to stop thinking through this lens of money. It's like, especially this, and the, I think this comes into play with like the, the helicopter money they're starting to talk about where it's like, we're going to give everyone a thousand dollars. Again, do you want a thousand dollars or do you want what a thousand dollars can buy you? Because the reality is if we print enough money to give everyone a thousand dollars without backing it by anything you actually want, there's not more stuff out there for you. You can, you're still only going to be able to get the same amount you were before. It's just, you're going to have a thousand more dollars and the price of everything is going to go up relative to that. So it's just going to adjust and you're not going to get what you want anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. Showing up to a, uh, if you're trying to fix a, a broke down car at the side of the road, if you show up with a 55 gallon drum of oil, <laughs> say, don't worry, I have the tool. We have many tools to solve this we have many tools dude that's my favorite thing the fed says is like oh we're looking into these new financial tools. oh we, we got all these tools, tools. Yeah. so many more tools it's like no 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 all you do is create money yeah <laughs> we're gonna we have so many tools we're gonna create money and put it into this market we're gonna create money and put it in this market we're gonna put money into equities gonna put money in just like dude i'm just picturing pal with a tool belt and it's all just <laughs> fucking stacks of cash yeah. <laughs> seriously we have many tools to look at. It's like, <laughs> but yeah. So that's the hot topic now um, in the in the government is 
how to address this pandemic and what they've arrived at uh almost certainly is going to be sending everybody money like jeff said uh which right. is referred to as helicopter money um in the sense <laughs> that you could basically fly a helicopter over a city and drop the money out of the helicopter and uh <laughs> everyone's going to be better off because everyone's going to all the all the people on main street are going to scoop up the money and and spend it right. in the economy um so and i think it's useful to think of like limiting cases like this is something people do a lot in um like math is you you look at like equations at their limits to like understand like their behavior at extremes and and this is just like a helpful tool in a lot like a lot of ways to think about problems and so just think about the limiting case of giving people money right if we just gave everyone like billions of dollars trillions of dollars, you know what I mean? Just no limit to the amount of money we give people, right? So if we gave everyone a billion dollars, you know, do you think everyone is going to suddenly be a billionaire? Do you think we're all just going to suddenly have everything we want just because we gave, we put a billion dollars in everyone's bank account? No, because that amount of stuff just doesn't exist. There's not enough stuff out there for us to all live like Jeff Bezos, right? Yeah, that reminds me of so, a good tweet I read from Eric Voorhees. Um, mm-hmm. He said, basically, this could, basically, this helicopter money could be described another way. Everybody take it, take a one dollar bill out of your pocket and add three zeros to it, <laughs> and now everyone has more money. It's like, yeah, that's just illustrating your point further. It's just the absurdity of. Oh, now that now you have more money, it's it's like, right. yes, that's correct. Like in this, what can you do with that? In the short run, it, it it can actually somewhat like improve your lot in the short run, but it'll like you'll pay for it like, later on in the long run. Mm-hmm. Like, because they at the end of the day, like, you it's it's better to think about wealth than it is to about to think about money. It's better to think about value than money, and at the end of the day. The amount of value or wealth in the economy, how does that go up if we hand everyone paper? I mean, I know it's not paper anymore. It's just going to be digital. But I, like, if it's bits on a computer or it's pieces of paper, how, how, how does our total value, our total wealth increase? It clearly does not. Yeah. Um, and I think so. Let's just, and so you're talking about li- limiting cases in the function. Well, let's pretend that the... The Fed computers or the Treasury computers arrived upon this number through through insane accuracy, and you know, let's just play this game for a second, where they know what will stimulate the economy, what actually will create the most, even even what we always talk about, um, standard of living. Let's say this number is the optimal standard of living increase, um, and it happens to be an even multiple of a thousand. Yeah, right. <laughs> Right, they find this number and they actually call, okay. Give them a lot of credit. They solve for this really hard to find number. Okay, so this is giving them the most credit they could possibly have, as any entity would be able to have. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's say that this this happens. Wow, great job. Well, even with that benefit, which is which I have to admit that would be a very significant benefit because we our economy is going to be hurting very bad after this. Mm-hmm. everything's shut down. It's going to be really hard to come back from. Okay, so let's give them a lot of benefit. It helps a lot. I don't even think that 
theoretical amount of help that they give the economy will be worth the new corruption and the corruption that becomes entered into the political sphere. Um, when people mm-hmm. talk about regimes that fail because of corruption, uh, like say Venezuela or Argentina or you know they, 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 they like to point to those governments and say, oh like the real problem was the corruption within that government. Um, mm-hmm. They just mishandled the, the power that they were given. Well, how would you like, it's almost like it's not even their fault, because how would you like a politician like Trump or like Biden, whoever's in power, mm-hmm. power to say now, we can print money and give to people. I will print $5,000 per person, or they won't say that. I will give $5,000 to each person <laughs> that allows me to stay in power after my term expires, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like you just introduced a massive corrupting force that now you can just right. buy off voters. You can say, look how much success we're having. I'll give everyone $1,000 to vote for me. I'll give everyone a thousand. You know, then it just becomes this race to to promise the most. Who can promise the most uh, in the election campaign, in your election, uh, mm-hmm. your, while you're campa- campaigning? Or once you're in office, you can just say, oh, I want this, and I'll give everybody money if you allow me to, to get that. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, it's a worse force than any amount of economic uh, benefit we could receive right and it's just at the end of the day like we said like if printing money or creating bits and there's actually other ways they can do it right so the government can actually take out loans to give people money so it doesn't just have to be printed but how do we pay our loans it's with taxes so it's at the end of the day someone's paying for it it's like whatever money we spend, it gets paid for. It's not, and 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 so the way it gets paid just depends on your execution. But at the end of the day, what what matters is how many dollars is the government spending or printing. That's that's the total burden. Like that's the calculation that you need to do to figure out the total burden this entity has on all of us, right? Because if they're just taxing, then you know, everyone's familiar with how you pay for this. They take it out of your paycheck. Okay. So if they're doing, if they're paying it for it with taxes, right, then it's coming from people who pay more in taxes than the people who pay less in taxes. So it's a wealth transfer. And so I mean, we can argue about the merits of wealth transfer in a different thing. But at the end of the day, all of these things are is wealth transfers. Okay. Like, for example, this the most idiotic case that I don't imagine anyone would even prose is, okay, we're going to pay for the $1,000 a month or $1,000 for everyone by taking out $1,000 from all of their bank accounts and then we'll give it back to them. Like, no one's dumb enough to propose that. But that's the that would be the easiest way to pay for it, right? Like, that would be the simplest way to do it. And it's like, you can see just in that case how idiotic <laughs> like something like this would be. Okay, and then now you could get cute with it, right? You could say, okay, no, everyone will pay a percentage of their uh, income ne- like necessary to um, meet the $1,000 per person. Well, okay, in effect, all that's done is a, is a wealth transfer from rich to poor. And so some people like that, but, I, you know, I don't know. That's like a different conversation. And so and another way you could do it is you could print it. And essentially what's happening there is the more cash you have you're holding, the more you're paying for it because you're you're essentially long dollars and now the supply of dollars goes up 
and the value of your dollars has been diluted. And so anyone who's got more dollars is hurt more than anyone by has less dollars. And that's not even necessarily rich to poor. You could be rich and have essentially no dollars right. if all your like if everything's loans and assets and things like that. Yeah. And so that's an even worse way to do it. And then the final way to do it is uh, debt, which is just taxes later on. So it's this, pretty much the same as the first yeah. example, except it's more expensive. <laughs> so I really like that example or that illustration because there's a lot of rhetoric that's really scaring me today, what I'm reading on Twitter and what I'm hearing in, um, that's being talked about uh, on the news. And that's the question is, how do you pay for it? Is irrelevant, right? And it may seem <laughs> yeah, dude, that I see way. this all the time. It seems that way because um, it hasn't been relevant for recent memory, really the last, whatever, 30 years. It, you can, or at least not in the ways people measure it. Right. So when you're talking about like CPI, oh, it doesn't matter. You can just print money and it doesn't. Right. Uh, the, the negative effects that we thought would happen haven't happened or haven't happened yet. Um, and so it's an irrelevant question. Why, why would you even ask that? It's become... You know this. So what I what I would say is, just any uh, like government or Fed intervention at the end of the day, like I was saying, is a wealth transfer. And just because it doesn't manifest itself in the measured ways, like CPI, like a lot of people go, oh, the problem with printing money is it'll cause inflation, right? And what they really mean by that is it will make the CPI go up. That's really what they're saying when they say that. And then when it doesn't make the CPI go up, they go, oh, I guess it was no problem. There was nothing wrong with printing that money because the CPI didn't go up. It's like, no. Like we said, the CPI is irrelevant. As long as they're creating dollars from nothing, they're transferring wealth away from people who have dollars to people who don't have dollars. And so it doesn't matter what the CPI reports. That wealth transfer is happening and it's been happening. So... We focus so much on these measurements that we've essentially let the Fed get away with this massive wealth transfer, but the effects haven't just been just haven't been reported. But I think a, a simple way you can look at this is look at what sort of like an average Joe with just a high school degree was able to achieve in the 50s, right? They could go on with just a high school degree to you know, earn a living that could, you know, pay their mortgage for a house, have their wife work from home. She didn't have to work if she didn't want to and support his kids. They could do all that with just, you know, an average thing. But what's happening now is, you know, it's they're having to also support all this intervention too, not just their family. But they have to pay all these taxes that the government's spending, all this debt, all this uh, money creation that the Fed's doing is all a transfer away from how the average person lives their life, which is they trade their time for dollars. Right. So that's like a, a net long position on dollars. So that person's getting hosed while all the people who take out lots of debt and all these things and gamble with it and do like risky stuff, which is like. A lot of these, you know, corporations and financiers and all these other people, you know, we can see this. These are all the people getting rich these days. And it's not the doctors that are doing well. It's not the other. It's it's all the other people who are doing this, you know, essentially short dollar 
type of behavior. And it's all the people who are doing the long dollar behavior that aren't doing as well. I want to I wanna rephrase this succinctly because the way you said it to me earlier, basically what you said to me earlier, just explaining this uh, concept was was really mm-hmm. well put. So I just kind of want to summarize what you just said with the, the succinct mm-hmm. statement, which is um, a middle to low class earner used to be able to provide for him, him and his family. Now he mm-hmm. has to provide for him and his family and all the shareholders and bondholders. So he's not able to do it as well. <laughs> that's it i think that's right so that was you that's that was well put um and and so again to just reiterate about the cpi as not going up so that so there's no negative consequences um to to put it another way to kind of do a thought experiment to think about the actual negative effects if you're holding dollars right or let's put it this way if there's a demand for dollars, which the the, the mm. printed money is is going to those people that are demanding dollars, right? And there's mm-hmm. a net zero CPI inflation. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, net zero CPI CPI increase. Um, mm-hmm. Right? You say, oh, there's no effect to that, but there isn't no effect. Right. The the effect is in a in an unobstructed market, you. The holder of holders of dollars would be able to supply those that demand of dollars, right? Would be able to receive a lot more, right? Exactly. With, they would get a higher rate for their right. their lending those dollars, so they would be enriched. So that when people say there's no effect, that's 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 just wrong because that just goes to show you that that demand that existed would have been mm-hmm. met by the existing dollars for a right. higher for a higher exchange. Than what it what ultimately happened with the the printed money going to meet that demand and there being no useful exchange to the dollar holders, they just had to keep living exactly. their life with, you know, exactly. inflation. And so yeah, like they might not be losing their purchasing power, but that doesn't mean they're not losing their potential wealth, which would have they would have earned as effect. like a supplier of savings, right. a supplier of value creation, which they're doing. And I think the average person is getting absolutely crushed, honestly. Like, if you look at how much intervention the Fed has done in the past 40 years, the average person has got completely screwed in favor of, you know, equity holders like stockholders and bondholders and, you know, these other people. And to no fault of either of them. It's just the Fed picking winners and losers. And I think more people just need to wake up to this because yeah. it's like we're, we're looking at all the wrong places right now. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so that argument that there's no effect of all this money printing is mm. it's actually not true. And if the political expediency of making that argument um, is the same to me as someone who's, who, uh, whose parent, when they're, if they're a toddler and their parent left a bunch of marshmallows on the table and then said don't touch mm. these marshmallows and then left for work and that that little toddler was able to go and eat a marshmallow and the, their parent came back and they didn't notice there were so many marshmallows on the table um and that toddler could think wow eating marshmallows doesn't actually <laughs> matter right so the next time right. they eat two or three marshmallows and the parent comes back and Maybe thinks something's up, but doesn't say anything. And that toddler is like even more confident. Wow, eating marshmallows doesn't matter. So the next time they go right. and eat the whole table, and then the parent comes back and 
<laughs> they forget the marshmallows. They eat the whole table. <laughs> <laughs> they get really confident. <laughs> uh, the parent goes back and he goes, "Holy shit! Where's my coffee where's my table?" table? <laughs> so, um, yeah, obviously the Tyler at that point in time would not be in a good situation. The parent would probably finish them. Um, right. So it's just just because just making that argument. Oh, nothing's happened, therefore nothing. It doesn't matter. Um, right. It's it's and it's almost so far that I actually agree with the people that say, "Oh, asking that question is pointless. Asking a, a candidate for the presidency, <laughs> oh, how how are you going to pay for it? Where are you going to get the money? It's pointless because, in my opinion, yeah, it is pointless." Because they all do the same thing. They're all going to print the money anyway. <laughs> it's almost not even worth right. asking them because it's like, are they... Re- well, really, they're going to borrow it, but it's yeah, going to borrow from the Fed who's going to... Enabled by the money creation. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pointless to ask them because they're going to lie. They're going to say, oh, it's going to pay for itself in this way. And also, we're going to raise oh, yeah, taxes, which will pay one. for it. And they make up all these... And then they get into the presidency and they all do the same thing. They all just spend at a deficit. They all just create these... Yeah. Deficits. Deficits don't matter. They said, well, we, hopefully we've pro- we've made you think about that in a different way, that the deficits do matter. Um, right. They have mattered, and they will potentially matter more. Yeah, I, I would say they've certainly already have mattered. So it's, it's not just that it's like, oh, we haven't seen the effects of it. We just haven't seen the effects in the way most people are measuring it. Okay. And then, because it's actually, it's difficult to measure wealth transfer. That's actually something that's hard to measure. And it's not even something that a lot of people think about. But it's gonna, I think it's gonna start appearing in measurable ways too, mm-hmm. with how irresponsible they're being. Because if you look at the, the bond market, it, there's a decent chance it might have peaked. Um, and it, 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 it looks like perhaps bond yields are, are gonna start reversing they're gonna start going up from here on out instead of down and believe me if you if you didn't think debts and deficits mattered before you you're gonna start to when interest rates start getting five ten fifteen twenty percent uh you're gonna you're gonna feel it then (laughs) (laughs) right no one none of us listening to this podcast in recent memory um Maybe if you're over, I guess if you're over 50, I think in the 70s yeah. is when the the yields started to go on a straight path downward and ever since then. So if you are, yeah. uh, well, and if you're 50, you were a toddler when they peaked. So, it, so <laughs> people listening to this over 50 might say, oh, I remember when yields were going up. <laughs> before the 70s <laughs> but everyone else listening to this everyone under 50 has, has no recollection can't remember as long as you've been on this earth there's never been a period of treasury rates uh for a, a significant period of time moving up um to, right it's only rates. ever been like short-term increases um it's been if you look at the chart it's just been a massive uh 50 year long path downward and uh yeah, it's almost been like a straight line down right. for the past 50 years. And we basically hit zero, like almost hit zero, you know, recently. Yeah. So it's like, if you're a person that understands that 
you're not going to lend someone money in exchange for less money back later on, then you understand by the time it hits zero, it only has one place left to go, which is back up. Right. It actually did happen this week. There was a, the three-month the three month bill, uh, U.S. Treasury bill, uh, was negative like... It really was Negative it? like three basis points for like a, like a, a couple seconds this this week. Uh, that's I, crazy I think a couple times it happened um so yeah that was imagine the, being imagine being that guy yeah <laughs> just stuck with that who, bag. Who, made, who sold at that price yeah or bought at that price at i guess you'd say yeah. <laughs> um so i mean the big debate is if something does happen if something big happens it's going to be one of two things it's going to be massively deflationary or massively inflationary um, and I think it could be deflationary. A lot of people are calling it and saying it could be deflationary just because there's such a demand for dollars and just because there's so much, um, you know, a lot of the same forces at play in the Great Depression people are calling for now, um, which obviously was very def- Great Depression was very deflationary. Um, right. But I think that deep down, I think that the Fed will respond differently than they would have in the than they did in the Great Depression. Well they already they already, they already have. pledged that they yeah. will. Um they already have like in the Great Depression they didn't they didn't do they anything. Didn't yeah. Expand the money supply. They actually contracted it. Right. So if they promise to do the opposite of what happened in the Great Depression, I think it will be massively inflationary. Um and as we've been talking about this whole podcast, just creating money um, creating inflation is not is not the savior. The Fed s- thinks that once they get inflation, everything will be all right, but they have it wrong. Inflation will be the right. be the pain of the next uh, right next recession or depression. And so, if you're a person that's, I say I call it long dollars, meaning you're like, if dollar value goes up, it benefits you. If it goes down, it, it hurts you. This is this is some a policy that should piss you off. And if you earn a salary, you're long dollars, right? Because essentially what you've done is you've sold your time for dollars, right? So that like that salary that is written in your contract, that's written in dollars. It's not written in gold. It's not written in Bitcoin or whatever. You're long dollars if you work for a salary. So you're not renegotiating your salary every time the Fed changes interest rates, every time the Fed prints money. So your salary is really not reflecting, you know, every dilution to the supply of dollars, you know, happening. And so like this type of policy is a direct wealth transfer out of your pocket. So the more people that, which is a lot of people that work for a salary that can just wake up to the fact that literally wealth is being stolen from you, the better. And the sooner we can put a stop to this crap. I guess to end on a positive, um, <laughs> the uh, the worse it gets, and believe me, I think it can get pretty bad. I don't think we've even seen, um, I don't think, I mean, we've obviously seen very bad s- so far, but I don't think we've seen mm-hmm. true fear in the markets. Pe- no. People that I talk to, people that I see on Twitter, you know, the polls that I've seen and I've taken personally... People are just shrugging this off. Like, obviously, a market crash that we've seen, 30% down, it's very painful to a lot of people. 
because uh, it puts their retirement on hold, um, lowers their net wealth. Um, so it's obviously very painful, to, and no one likes it. No one's happy about losing that much money in their 401k. Mm-hmm. But nobody's, like, panicking. No one's fearfully. No. It's all just like, when am I going to put my next money in? When am I, what else am I going to buy? I don't think we've actually right. seen a secular change of the bull market um, yeah. that people say can happen. I haven't seen anyone who's, like, said anything other than, like, I don't know when to buy, but you know, I will start right. buying again. Like it's, there's no, oh, I'm done with stocks. Like I don't, I haven't seen any of that yet. So back to passive. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, um, I, I think that as bad as this will get, I think it's a necessary change. So if we can hunker down and we're able to, to get through it, I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I think the worse it gets, the better chance there will be for, uh, a rebuilding, a, a reintroduction of true price discovery into our markets, and and to to see an actual free market uh, would be so great for for the the country and for great for the people. So, well, I agree that would be great. <laughs> I am less optimistic. I don't think any of our institutions, any of our like public figures, really have any understanding of of how this all works together like like i just i just don't think they're doing the right if you look at democrats and republicans it is a bipartisan issue to hand everyone a thousand dollars there is no dissent here there's no one who thinks this is foolish like everyone agrees this is a good idea so i just i don't think there's much hope for us to like I mean, maybe if it's like you said, it gets bad enough, we could turn to turn the clock back and 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 go towards more freedom. Um, but I don't know. I'm I'm worried there's a storm brewing in the other direction, which is if it gets bad enough, the the people who want radical change in the other direction, more centralization, more government control. I think when they're desperate, they're gonna they're gonna turn to their champion and say, "Save us," mm-hmm. you know. So I don't I don't see that rugged individualism where it's like we'll we'll pull ourselves out, yeah. you know. We'll take care of our ourselves, you know. We don't need you. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's truly a battle for information. I think so. Mm-hmm. If if we're able to position ourselves and we're able to help our listeners position themselves. And I guess any subscriber to Austrian-style economics and libertarian thought are able to... If all those people are able to position themselves in a way that they'll be able to profit from a major secular change, um, then at that point, the people with the more power will be able to have more say, hopefully, and be able to uh, create Yeah, maybe. So it's really a, a battle for... Uh, who will be able to be in the best position to make the decisions after the the shakeup, perhaps? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I just wish our government would do less. You know. Yeah. Well, that would be a good name for a podcast. <laughs> Can I set it better myself? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. All right. See you next time. Keep doing less.